Augustine, the bishop of a place called Hippo. How would you like to have that as the name of your town? He was a big influence on uh, the reformers, especially John Calvin. And he made the statement one time that the soul of the human is restless until it finds its rest in God. And I think about that whenever we sing the chorus on that song, uh, You're all I want, you're all I've ever needed. Uh, is that true? And sometimes it's kind of a measuring stick to think about how easy it is to kind of get into the rut of casual Christianity. And then we measure ourselves against what God demands and we realize that we uh, fall short of the glory of God and we're still falling short of the glory of God even as believers. And so there's always a time for renewal, a time for uh, refreshing, a time for kind of checking us out. I think about verses in the Bible that tell us uh, to examine yourselves, to make sure that you're in the faith. Uh, that's not just for the lost person who thinks that they're saved. That's written to true believers. Take, take time to check yourself out. Measure yourself against the demands of God's word. It also says uh, to make your calling and election sure. And uh, that's something that we need to do. And we need to look at our lives and make sure that we really are in the faith and that we're sincere in the faith in walking with God because there are people who are certainly deceived. And uh, when I think about what Billy Graham used to say that the greatest mission field in the United States is inside the church. Well, that's a sobering statement for an evangelist to make. And uh, he said at one point that by his estimation, he thought that about 75% of church members in America were lost. 75%. Uh, no wonder you've got to work so hard to get people excited. No wonder you've got to work so hard to get people to attend. No matter you, no, no, no uh, uh, wonder you have to work so hard to try to entertain them by your preaching. And when you look and you see what uh, so many people are drawn to and what they call worship, what they call preaching, what they call commitment, it's different than the standard that is brought up by the Word of God. In Psalm 84... We're just going to look at uh, one verse tonight. And in this, you kind of get the heart of someone who really is a worshiper of God. Uh, true worship. So we're going to talk tonight about what true worshipers know and experience. And uh, it's got to be more than just showing up. It's got to be more than just saying the right words or going through the rituals. There's got to be something that comes from the heart and a strong and true um, affection for God and love for His Word and love for His people. They all kind of go together. And uh, when you think about people that say, well, I love God, but I don't like church, there's something wrong with that. When you find people that say, well, I love God, but they never pick up His Word, there's something wrong about that. I love God, but I never give to the work of the Lord. There's something wrong with that. When people say, I love God but they're bored with all of the things of God, what, what are you supposed to, uh, what conclusion are you supposed to draw when you hear people like that? And that's so common, and it's not just in our day and age. It was like this before. I remember reading that Charles Spurgeon 
uh, more than 150 years ago, was lamenting the fact that he said, um, started his article by saying, apathy, apathy, everywhere there's apathy. And he began to describe the uh, typical church of his era. And we would think, oh, they would be moral and on fire for God. Well, you can be moral and still be cold toward God. Think about all of the Pharisees as they met with Jesus, as they saw his works. And what did that do to them? For most of them, just indifference and deadness uh, about being in the very presence of the Son of God and even watching him do his miracles. And so uh, it's possible to do that. So we want to look at this tonight for two reasons. Uh, oh, well, maybe more. Number one, we want to do it to glorify God. Let's make sure we're clear on that. And second, we, we want to do it to ask ourselves the question, am I a true worshiper of Jesus Christ? That's very important. And then thirdly, because what we look at tonight ought to burden our hearts for people that we know who are not worshipers of Christ. Now, they may know they're not, and they may never intend to be. You know some people like that. But the really sad situation is for those who think they are, but they're not really even close to it. So let's take a look at this. Psalm 84 and verse 10. And there have been songs written about this and a lot of things. It's a very famous uh, verse of Scripture. Verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I want to ask you a question. How true is that statement in your life? You know, there are some people that you kind of have to drag them to church. And the truth of the matter is they'd rather be in the casino. They'd rather be watching a movie somewhere. They'd rather be at a dance. They'd rather be at a bar. They'd rather be going out to eat. They'd rather be anywhere else. But they have this legalistic um, compulsion that I've got to be in church and they can't wait to get out. They don't worship any while they are there. This psalmist puts us all to shame as he talks about this and he says, I no, not only want to be at the temple, but I value being in the temple. This was not something just casual and something that didn't really matter to him. You can feel the pull of his heart as he is talking about being there in the courts of the Lord, the courts of his king, and being there in the temple itself. And he said, this is better than anything else I could do. You know, a thousand days is 2.74 years. And he's saying one day in the presence of God in the temple is worth more than anything I could do in nearly three years. You know, even a lot of good Christians don't feel like that. And sometimes it's like church is sort of a, a waste of time, but it's something that we've got to do. It's something we've got to endure. It's something we've got to put up with. And then we wonder why we're not really impacting our world for Christ. And so this guy had it right. And this guy had what I would like to have and what I would like for our church to have. And this is what happens when we experience real um, worship, true worship. And... Uh, 
First of all, true worshipers see the magnificence of God and the privilege to know God. There is kind of a thing going around that I hear people say, and it's, uh, Jesus loves you. And they go, yeah, well, of course, he loves everybody. And we sort of discount like that. It's no big deal that it's not really anything to get all that excited about. I mean, we know that that's baby stuff. That's kindergarten stuff. That's nursery stuff, isn't it? And yet this psalmist would be absolutely in awe of the fact that Jesus would love him. And when you understand what the Bible says about us, we are not worth loving. There was nothing attractive about us. There was nothing that God saw in us that was good. Zero, nothing. Romans 3, quoting out of the Psalms, so it's Old and New Testament, that it says that there is none righteous, no, not one. That no, not one would include you, and it would include me. It says that there's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God, that would include us. And it says that we've all together become unprofitable. That word means of no salvageable worth. And so God was not looking and saying, you know, I could make something out that this is not just you going with your dad or your grandpa to the junkyard and they look in there and they find something. They say, hey, what could we make out of this? And the next thing you know, he's made something wonderful and useful out of it and maybe even valuable. That's not really the picture that is there. This is more the picture of God looking and saying there is nothing good. There is nothing salvageable in there. I've got to do a brand new work. And that's why the Bible says that we are new creatures in Christ. We're not just a fixed-up version. I remember uh, commercials when I was a kid. They would do something like this. Oh, your clothes are so white and, and so wonderful. Uh, do you still use Tide? No, I don't use Tide. Oh, what do you use? I use New Tide. You know, ah, what a cheesy thing. And uh, I'm not just uh, a new version of my old self. And you're not just a new version, a cleaned up version of your old self. Because new tide after a while became old tide and then just tide, right? And uh, that's not the way that we are. To be a new creature in Christ means that we are something completely new from top to bottom, inside and out. Everything has changed about us. We are brand new. We used to be a body. We know that. We're born with that. And we used to possess a soul. And our soul is what's inside of us, what makes us move, what makes us think, what makes us laugh, what makes us be able to communicate. It's where we make our decisions. It's how we think, our mind, will, and emotions. But everybody has that, don't they? No. Everybody you know who is not born again, they have a body and a soul, yes, but they don't have what you have, what you possess. I got a little bit ahead of myself. You possess something different than they do. You have been made spiritually alive. And God the Holy Spirit indwells you never to leave you or to forsake you. And he has made you alive in your spirit now. And so being spiritually alive means you can do something that billions of people in the world cannot do. No matter how rich, no matter how famous, no matter how cool, they can't do it without Christ. And that is this. They cannot relate to God. They do not have the power of God and the love of God. You're in the family of God. They're headed toward the judgment of God. Think about how sad that is. 
And so when we think about who we are in Christ, and we think about the God who has done this for us, and if we ever kind of get the idea of, uh, you know, no big deal, that means that there's something deficient about our worship. Worshippers see the magnificence of God. How long has it been since you have just been overwhelmed by God himself? How long has it been since the fact that he would love you, that he would save you, that he would live in a rotten person like you? That's amazing to think that he has committed himself to us, that he is changing us, that he is making us what he wants us to be, that he is patient with us, that he is empowering us, that there's not a command in the word of God that he does not give you the power to be able to carry out that command. And we think about that, and we think about, uh, I was outside the other night, and I looked up and you could see a lot of stars that particular night. And I was prompted to pray, and I said, Lord, I thank you that you are the creator of all of those stars, and I thank you that you've allowed me to be able to see those stars because I glorify you as the creator of the universe. And then I pray for people who can look at the same thing that I see, and they see nothing but random chance. You know, we can see more of the universe today than they ever could in human history. And uh, some of those pictures with the Hubble telescope that's out in space, amazing to see all of the other galaxies that are out there. And God made all of them. And yet some people will look at the same thing that I see and come to the conclusion that there is no God, there is no designer, and there is no creation. Just nothing but luck and random chance. Now how do you get to that point? Well, mankind has always been looking for a way to deny God, then to displace God, and then to completely annihilate any concept of God. Karl Marx, who was, uh, if you ever hear about Marxism, you know, uh, Karl Marx is a German who uh, wrote all of that, the thesis about uh, Marxism. And uh, he and the Soviet Union took this up in a big way. They said that religion is the opiate of the masses. In other words... You and I are just part of the masses of the common, unwashed, uneducated, don't know any better people. And these elites who rule over us, they're so much smarter than we are. And they allow us to have religion to some degree because it keeps us from, well, like an opiate. It keeps us from connecting with reality. It keeps us drunk. It keeps us stoned. It keeps us high so that we don't have to really face the miseries of life. But you and I know better than that. You and I know that there is a God. And he is the one who is our redeemer. And we know that our redemption did not come from us. Because there's not a one of us that would ever go, Oh Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinful wretch. You know we sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. We don't ever stop to think what a wretch is. I mean, that's about the worst word that John 
Newton could think of to put there to describe us. It doesn't mean we need a little improvement or a little help. It's talking we're at the bottom of the barrel. And nobody has ever come to God and said, Lord, in my wretchedness, I need a Savior. And so here's what you do, Lord. Uh, What I need to have happen now is for the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus, uh, he needs to come to earth. Have you ever thought about that, Lord? He needs to come to earth. And if he came to earth, he uh, he could endure suffering and persecution while he's here and do it without sin so that he could be nailed to the cross. And then, Father, what you need to do is take all of my sin and my rebellion my law-breaking, my treason against you, and just hurl it all on him and crush the second person of the Godhead in my place. Then here's what you do after that. Take all my sin and give me his righteousness so I can go free. And while you're at it, raise him from the dead and uh, take him back up to heaven and then bring him back again and uh, we'll wrap all of this kind of thing up. Let me ask you a question. What human being would ever think of anything like that? Well, let's take a look around. Let's go to India. Any of their religions have any theology like that at all? Let's go to some other parts of Asia. We'll look at Buddhism and things like that. Any of their theology have anything like that at all? Let's look at uh, something like Mormonism. Is that in there like that at all? Jehovah's Witnesses. Heard a funny thing the other day. Somebody asked a guy how he's doing, and he said, I'm busier than a Jehovah's Witness in the doorbell aisle at Home Depot. (laughs) Pretty good, isn't it? When you look at man-made religion and man-made theologies, it's always trying to figure out how man can improve himself how to climb the ladder and get closer to God. It's the Tower of Babel, in other words. It's the sacrifice of Cain. This is the work of my hands, and it ought to be good enough for God. Only God could come up with what I just expressed, sending His own Son, the second person of the Godhead, God in human flesh, to come down and live the perfect life we could not live to keep the law of God perfectly in spite of all of the pressure, in spite of the persecution, in spite of anything that he might have gone through, to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and willingly take our sins upon himself so that as Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the Father to crush him. God the Father crushes His own Son for wretches like us so that we could receive His righteousness, having all of our sins forgiven. And on your record tonight, your permanent record, there is every righteous deed that Jesus ever did that is put in your account. And the Son of God Himself says... Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And so all of us as these wretched sinners, dead in trespasses and sins, have been made alive in Christ. 
we know him, he has given us his righteousness, his spirit actually indwells us, and there's a place in heaven that is prepared for us by the Lord Jesus himself. I've stayed in some rotten places. Uh, Sammy and I were one time at a Southern Baptist convention in St. Louis. It looked like somebody had thrown a pizza against the wall. Stayed in some nice places, too, some really nice places. And uh, when I think about putting all that together in the nicest place that you could ever live or ever stay, and then you think about this, human hands built that, and have you ever noticed that no matter what you... I don't care if you spend $20 million on your next house. Live in it for a while and something will be wrong with it. Something will go wrong, a closet won't quite be big enough... Something will be too big. Something won't flow right. And, you know, it's, it's never going to be perfect. Can you imagine what your mansion is going to be like designed by the maker of the galaxies in the universe? That's designed and put together by the one who made the Grand Canyon and the mountains and the Rocky Mountains and all of that. Can you imagine what that must be like? And so we've got to get a glimpse of the magnificence of God and back to the idea that knowing God is the most amazing thing in the world because when I see his magnificence through mere human eyes he seems distant he seems unknowable unfathomable and he is he is he has to be revealed but I also would be like anybody else in the scripture that when they came into the presence of God Peter, when he saw Jesus, he said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That's not just noble on Peter's part. That's the cry of any sinner. Get away from me. C.S. Lewis said that lost people live their entire lives saying, Leave me alone in hell is God giving them their wish. That's the cry of the human heart whenever we encounter God apart from grace. Get away from me. Get away from me. I can't stand this. But grace does something amazing. When the Holy Spirit moved in your heart, when you heard the gospel, the grace of God drew you to him. And you saw him in his holiness, but you also saw your sin. And when you saw your sin and his holiness, the only thing you could do was to cry out for grace and for mercy. The difference between when I walked an aisle when I was 10 and did whatever they told me to do and when I was 22 and I was born again was sin. I saw my sin in light of the holiness of God and I knew that I was done for. I knew that there was no hope for me except that God would be merciful to me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When you think about how the Lord drew you to himself, when you think about how he has given himself to you, when you think about the privilege it is that whenever you bow in prayer, you can talk to the maker of those galaxies that we haven't been to, the maker of the universe, that he loves you and that he hears you, and that it's not just that you are crying out like some kind of constituent to a congressman who may or may not read your email. You are crying out to the God who knows you. 
and a God who loves you. You know, when you think about Jesus, when he talks about, depart from me, workers of iniquity, he makes this one statement, for I never knew you. Tonight, if you're a born-again believer, you will never hear that. Because the amazing thing is this God that we can't even fathom, he knows us. He's not ashamed to be called our God. He lives in us. He has a tremendous plan for us, and he is working all things together for our good. The magnificence, the magnificence of God and the privilege it is to know him. Secondly, true worshipers learn about the priorities of life. He said, not only a day in your courts, being in your presence, but look at this, it's better than a thousand. What's the implication there? Stack up a thousand of anything else and I'd rather be here. This is more valuable. When I was uh, quite a bit younger and my niece Tara was really, really young, there was one time we were at a restaurant and uh, Tara, her dad, had given her a dollar and uh, she was over by me and I said, what you got there? And she goes, money? She didn't even know what it was. She was so little... And I said, you can't put that in a gum machine. Here, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a quarter and you give me the dollar. And she goes, okay, without any hesitation. Of course, I didn't hold her to it, but I thought, man, if I could get around enough two-year-olds, I could make a good return on my investment. You know why she did that? Because she didn't know the value of a dollar. And to her, the quarter was more valuable, shinier and all of that, and it fit into a gum machine crazy that gum would cost a quarter but uh, even back then and so that's the way the world is they don't know the value of anything now they know the price of everything but they don't know the value of anything and so they'll sell themselves for just about anything now and you and I are different as worshipers of God to be one day now, he wasn't being a minimalist. He wasn't saying, all I need is one day and that'll do me for the rest of my life. No. Remember, he, this is the same guy that a few verses up said, I wish I could be like a bird and build my nest and just stay here. But then he is telling us where his, uh, the value of things when he is telling us that just, just one day, just one day here is better than three years anywhere else, especially in wickedness. Well, the world doesn't understand that, and they can't know that, but that's the way that we certainly ought to feel and uh, the way that we ought to be about all of this. And uh, then you notice, thirdly, that when you have somebody who is a true worshiper, there is uh, what I would call a true humility, not a false humility. Sometimes I see celebrities and athlete, athletes and that kind of thing uh, they, they play the humble game. Well, I know there's a lot of people that help me get where I am. Yeah, but they don't always mean that. And uh, they don't always give the recognition to other people that they should. In fact, they worked really hard to not be one of the little people, but to be a star or whatever it might be. But you and I are different. Jesus said that if we want to find our life, we have to lose it. In other words, the way to really live is to die. We uh, live in a world that wants to get every, all that it can, but we've learned that the way to get is to give. 
And we have learned that the way up to be exalted is actually to go down and to go deep and humble ourselves before the Lord. Remember, the Bible says that if you exalt yourself, you're going to be abased. There's a lot of abasing coming from people uh, in this world, living and dead, because all they did in their life was exalt, exalt, and promote, and proclaim themselves. And uh, boy, it's a frightening day that's coming up. The Bible says things like this, before honor comes humility. You know, I find that even some church people struggle with the whole thing of true humility. We know we're supposed to act a certain way and look a certain way, but that's got to be from the heart before it really counts and really matters. Are we really humble before the Lord? Are we really submissive? Are we really humbling ourselves before other people? This guy said, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Rather be a doorkeeper. Think about that. That's not the most exalted position in the temple. He's not saying, I want to be the high priest. I want to be one of the Levites. I want to be one of those people. He said, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Rather be a doorkeeper. Not much recognition there. The doorkeeper would stand there and kind of guard the temple from those who weren't ceremonially clean or uh, they weren't qualified to be in the temple. He had that. He would open the doors and close them at the right times. And some of the sacred vessels and things, he would guard over them until they were going to be used a doorkeeper. Nobody aspires really to be a doorkeeper of much of anything. And yet he would say, I would rather do that than have anything that the world has to offer. Why? Because I have seen the magnificence of God and the privilege of knowing God, right? I know the value of what this is. The world can't see it and understand it, but I do. I get it, and I will do anything to be used by God. You know, some people in the church, they won't do anything unless they get a title, a position, recognition, that type of thing. And then there are those people in the church that they never get recognized. They don't want to be recognized, and they work in the background. You know, sometimes uh, people forget that when you come in for a, a retreat or for a service or for something like that or a camp, a youth camp or a children's camp, angels didn't come down and put all that together. People did. And there are people that are working and they're just humbly working, grateful to be able to serve God anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be recognized. It doesn't have to have a title because they're not serving anybody but the Lord God. And this psalmist had a heart for that. And worship humbles us to the place to where we would say, Lord, I give you my everything and I will do anything that you call me to do. Just give me the privilege of serving you. And then the last thing, the last phrase is, I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to be in the tents of the wicked. What happens when you worship God, really worship God? You begin to discern the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and what's false and what's true. And there's a lot of falsehood going on today. A lot of people use Bibles. A lot of people speak of Jesus. A lot of people will pray, do different things like that. And yet they're misusing the name of the Lord. They're misusing the scripture. They're misusing everything 
and it's fraudulent. And a lot of Christian people will give their time and their money and their prayers to people like that. And they'll say, well, I, I don't know. We don't agree 100%, but he talks about Jesus, and that's all that matters. Have you forgotten that even the devil appears as an angel of light? Right? Even his ministers, his demons, do the same thing. And there's, uh, I remember Papa Sam saying one time, the most demon-possessed person he knows is a liberal that will stand in the pulpit with a Bible in his hand. Now, that doesn't sound or look necessarily demonic. We get our minds fixed on what that really is. But he was right. And there are people that are out to deceive you and deceive other people like you. I've got a couple of examples. Um, Gary's going to put on a video here and show a couple of clips. One is of Kenneth Copeland. Okay? Did you know COVID-19 is gone and finished? It's been cursed and it's been done away with. Either that or this guy is a false prophet. Okay? And right after that, Jesse Duplantis is going to tell us, and I wanted you to hear it from their lips because it sounds so preposterous, Jesus would have come back already if you had given more. And if you will give more, you can make time go by faster and get him to come back. Jesse wants another airplane, apparently, right? Let me let you watch these so you see it for yourself. COVID-19! COVID-19! Burn! Oh, I'm telling you, it gets hot down there. I mean, like Jesse said, it's Africa hot down there, man. And it gets... Are you listening to me? Because it's, it's right there on the coast. It gets muggy. And that's what it takes to kill this thing. It hates heat. It hates humidity. It hates water. <laughs> it just dies. I hollered at the top of my voice, in the name of Jesus, you get back up there where you belong. Boy, up it went. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I messed us up. Man. Just when. I honestly believe this that the reason why Jesus hadn't come is because people are not giving the way God told them to give. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Wow. I mean, when you understand, it, you can speed up the time. I was on television. He said, I heard you was a millionaire. I said, that's not right. That's not true. He said, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. Multi. Now, add that to it, you'll be all right. <laughs> oh, he couldn't handle that. He liked to have had a fit. And I said, you mess with me, I'll buy this station and I'll fire you. Yeah, oh, he didn't on. like that, did he? Uh, you know, that was a little fleshy, but it felt good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just did. You know what I'm, I'm not saying? Yeah, yeah. So I realized that I will not move people emotionally yeah. to give. Right. No. I'm going to have people move according to the Word of God. What is God saying to you? And I really believe this. If people would call this number and put this victory all over the world on every available voice, every available outlet, God, the Father, he would say, Jesus, go get him. Yeah. Because you see, he wants to see us as much as we want to see him. You see what I'm saying? And so what has hindered all these things is 
uh, uh, it's because people are not doing in the financial realm because we're living in an economic world what God's called them to do. You know, he's called us to do that. So I don't have a problem with giving. I don't have a problem with receiving. It, it doesn't make any difference. Because I just made up my mind. I want Jesus to come. Now, uh, they said, do you own a jet? Yes. You can have it the day after the rapture. It's yours. Because <laughs> Jesse, Jesse is uh, going to heaven. Those two men both put what they said as equal with the Word of God. Those two men just spent time in some of the most self-serving, how shall I put this, garbage that you'll ever hear. Promoting themselves benefiting themselves, lying to you, claiming to be something that they're not. And anytime anybody tells you, God told me and it doesn't come true, mark them down as a false prophet. And Jesus warned us, Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who, as, who is in heaven. Worshippers, the magnificence of God and the privilege to know him. Worshippers, when they are the ones that are able to see the, the value of things and what really matters in the priorities of life. Worshippers are the ones who can look at the things that are going on around them, even the things that they're involved in, and say there are some things that are just not worth it. And I'm going to put my time and my effort, my money and energy into the things that really matter. See what the psalmist is saying? And there are people who are trying to get you to think that you can be involved in the eternal plan of God. And all you have to do is give them a little more money. What a slap in the face to the word of God. What a slap in the face to the sovereignty of God. As if God in heaven is saying, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Okay, go get them, Jesus. No man knows the day or the hour but the Father. You know what? That is fixed and he's not changing it for you or anybody else. That's called a gimmick. That's called a lie. And there are thousands of others that we could uh, show and talk about. But it's not worth it, is it? Why? Because we want to be true worshipers of the true and living God. And that last thing that happens is when you've been in the presence of God and you've studied the word of God and you see who he really is, 
You don't fall. You don't fall for the fakes. You can tell the difference. Will you pray with me? Lord God, as we think about how this psalmist felt about just going to the temple and how hard it was for him to get there, the traveling by foot, the tribulations and trials he would go through, the dangers that he faced from robbers and wild animals. We think about the heat and the elements and the rain and whatever. And it was so important for him to get to the temple. And he said, just one day in your courts is better than a thousand that the world could pile up elsewhere. When we think about his humility, how he would rather just, just to be a doorkeeper, even if he didn't even get to go in, just to be there, just to be useful to his God, and useful to the people of God, that was enough. He didn't need any recognition or anything. He was in your presence serving you. And to think that he would rather do that than be in the tents of the wicked because he could tell the difference between good and bad, right and wrong, valuable and worthless. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to be true worshipers. Help us, Lord, that when we think about Jesus is the door to heaven, then in a sense, I guess, maybe we are doorkeepers as we point people to him. Let us not take our eyes off of Christ, but to walk with you and to follow you. And so now, Lord, that leads us to pray for people tonight. And we pray that you would heal sick people. Just because some nuts get on TV and do some outlandish, ungodly, and even demonic things, don't let us ever forget that you are indeed a healer. And we pray for people who are sick, people who are recovering from surgery, people who are suffering, people who are in pain. We ask you, Lord, to be their healer. We pray, Lord, for people who are struggling with their families. And we ask, O Prince of Peace, that you would do what it says in the last verse of the Old Testament, to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers to their children. Oh, Lord, unite parents and children. Bring prodigals home. Let parents love their children as they should, and children love and respect their parents as they should. We pray for people who are suffering because their marriage is not all it should be, and none of us could say that. I understand that. But, Lord, there are some people who are suffering greatly tonight because of the infidelity of a spouse. Lord, I want to ask you to heal marriages. I want to ask you to release people from addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography. I want to pray, Lord, tonight that you would release people from the trap that the devil has placed for them. Release them from that. And as Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. And I pray that as we think about all of these things, would you show us how we can serve you by helping other people, both lost and saved, making us conscious of them and their plight, to be mindful of what we have in Christ and what they don't have because they're dead in trespasses and sins. And let us help them 
Let us witness to them. Let us minister to them in any way that we can. And then, Father, as we interact with people in the church, may we be the loving, unified church that you want us to be, to help one another, to bless one another, and to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, and thank you for allowing us to worship you in spirit and truth. But we want to do better, and only by your grace can that happen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.